When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What up, Cavs Nation? I'm your host, Ethan Sands. Happy New Year, and thank you for joining us in another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I've gone solo dolo the last couple of episodes, but today I'm rejoined by none other than your favorite beat reporter, Chris Fedor. How were the holidays, Chris? Oh man, Ethan, the holidays were very wild and very, very difficult and very different for me, if we're being honest. I've gotten a lot of questions from a lot of different people about where I've been, why I haven't been writing for Cleveland.com lately, why I haven't been on the podcast. And for those that don't know, a couple of days before Christmas, my in-law's house burned down. So it has been a very, very strange holiday season for me trying to make sure that my in-laws are okay, make sure that my wife is okay. Like physically, everybody is fine and they were able to get out of the house. They got the dog out of the house too, but it has taken a toll on everybody around me mentally. And we're just trying to find a new normal for my in-laws because they obviously have been displaced and they're obviously trying to figure a lot of things out in their lives. And a lot of that has also fallen on me. Some of it's fallen on my wife as well. So there's just been a lot of personal things that I've been dealing with over the last week and a half during the holiday season. So it wasn't what we expected Christmas to be like. It wasn't what we expected New Year's to be like. But we were all together as a family, even if we weren't in the place, their house, that we thought we were going to be. Obviously, everybody is extremely sorry to hear that, Chris, and especially myself. And I know you're not going to say this yourself, so I'm going to plug it. Chris's family does have a GoFundMe link on Chris's Twitter that will allow you to donate if you feel so obliged to donate to Chris's family in their time of need. Obviously, the holiday is over, but we're hoping that some holiday spirit has trickled down into the new year and you'll be willing to help someone out that dearly needs it. On that note, we want to get into the episode and bring in the new year with a chance for you guys, our subtexters, our subscribers, to ask Chris questions in this rendition of Hey Chris. But before we get into the questions, I want to ask you a quick one, Chris. The Cavs are nearing the 10-game mark with Evan Mobley and Darius Garland's injury announcement, and the Cavs are 6-3 and three over the nine-game span thus far after Wednesday's blowout win over the Wizards. How have you felt about the chemistry of this team over this stretch? 
Yeah, I think they deserve a lot of credit for staying afloat. I think they deserve a lot of credit, Ethan, for coming together as a team and changing the style of play at both ends of the floor. And, you know, part of this is due to a very favorable schedule, right? Like, they haven't played against Boston. They haven't played against Miami. So they've taken advantage of Houston at home and Utah at home and games against the Washington Wizards and the Chicago Bulls. So you can't take it away from them what they've accomplished during this stretch, but I do think you have to put it in perspective and... If it was going to happen, this is kind of the stretch of the schedule where they can still thrive and they can still play well against these caliber teams. In saying all of that, you know, Jared Allen has stepped up in a big, big way. His opportunities have risen. His touches have risen. His responsibilities on the offensive end, those have changed as well without Darius and Evan Mobley on the court occupying possessions and and taking some of those shot attempts and touches away from him. So he deserves a lot of credit. Karis LeVert coming off the bench, Craig Porter Jr. And Donovan Mitchell said it after tonight's win against the Washington Wizards. It seems like during this stretch, it's been a different guy every single night. They're getting contributions up and down the roster. And that is what it takes to fill in for Darius Garland and Evan Mobley. Those are significant losses to the Cavs at both ends of the floor. They are very, very important to what the Cavs do and who the Cavs want to be. And not one player is going to just step into those shoes and be Darius Garland for the Cavs. So it has been a collective. It has been a team effort. And it's been really, really encouraging for them to play the way that they have during this stretch without two key components of this thing. Yeah, I mean, what they've been doing is remarkable, not only to say that They've taken down teams like the Dallas Mavericks and such, and being able to do that as a collective unit is something that we knew was going to be needed of this Cavs team, and especially looking at what they have to do at the end of this month. It's good that they've been able to get out to a good little start, but without any further delay, let's dive into these questions from our subtexters. First one goes to Brian from San Diego, who asks, How much do you think Jared Allen's improved aggressiveness and production on both ends of the court can carry over once Mobley comes back and the team is fully healthy? I don't know that answer. I think that's something that we all have to figure out. I think that's all something that we're going to monitor going forward. Stylistically, can they play the way that they have the last nine games when they're close to full strength? stylistically, can Jared Allen be as evolved on the offensive end as he has been? I don't know. You know, when the Cavs were close to full strength, Ethan, Jared Allen was sixth on the team in touches. He was getting about as many touches per game as George Niang, which that can't happen. Jarrett needs more touches. Jarrett needs more opportunities. He has shown that he can be effective as an offensive force both scoring the ball, but also creating for his teammates. That's something that we have seen during this stretch. But is there enough room within the offense when Darius Garland is going to have a high usage rate, when Evan Mobley is going to get his touches and his shot attempts? I don't know the answer to that question. I think that's something that remains to be seen. And I wasn't there for the entirety of Jared Allen's post-game press conference. I got there toward the end, but he said something really, really interesting about how the Cavs have been playing in this nine-game stretch. And it was something that he said in terms of like, 
We're starting to figure things out. This is how we wanted to play on the offensive end to begin with. And I would have loved to follow up with him and asked him the same question that that was asked right there. Like, can you guys play this kind of way when you're closer to full strength? Because part of the reason, Ethan, why they've changed their style offensively is because the personnel is different. It's easier to shoot 40 to 45 threes a game when you're playing four shooter lineups. When you have Evan Mobley and Jared Allen together, you're not playing a four-shooter lineup. Paint's a lot more clogged. There's not as much spacing. And then when Darius Garland comes back, somebody's minutes are going to be trimmed. How much is Sam Merrill going to play? How much is Craig Porter Jr. going to play? And both those guys have been at the center of this different style of offense. So I'd like to sit here and say, yeah, the Cavs are going to continue this style offensively. Jared Allen is going to stay as involved as he's been, but I don't know how I could answer that honestly, because when they were fully healthy, Jared was basically an offensive afterthought, wasn't he? Right. And when Evan and Darius were like first going out and being like announced as injured, the Cavs were really learning and trying to figure out if the four shooter lineup even worked. Like that was when they were putting it together, trying to see if Evan was a better fit at the five or if Jarrett was a better fit at the five. And now they've been forced to learn that they can make the four-shooter lineup work if they use it to the advantage of, oh, we have to shoot not 31 threes a game as they were shooting early in the season, but more closer to 40 to 45 a game. And what I mentioned to Max Struess, who we talked to after the game today too, was he was the one earlier in the season that said, we need to shoot more threes. And it was crazy to think that they hadn't been doing that up until the injuries happened. And as soon as that changed, as soon as that conversation had, he vocalized that. We wrote about it. And as soon as that happened, the next game, the uptick of shooters happened. So that's what was inspiring to me was that they were willing to make that change or knew that they needed to make that change as abruptly as it needed to happen. When it comes to Jarrett, I mean, I think we have to be honest. Oftentimes, production is a result of opportunity. And he's just not going to get as many shots when this team is fully healthy, right? He's going to be further down on the offensive pecking order when this team is fully healthy. The Cavs, if there's something that they need to stay committed to moving forward, it's keeping him more involved on the offensive end. Because it allows him to stay engaged. It rewards him for all of the dirty work that he does on the defensive end of the floor. And you just see like a different energy around Jarrett. You see a different joy around Jarrett when he's this kind of involved on the offensive end. And it doesn't mean that they have to run their offense through him. But if you're a team that's just going to ask him, run up and down the court, protect the rim, guard all these different bigs that you're going to guard on a nightly basis. And then on the offensive end, your only role is to screen all day long. Like, that's not all that fun, right? And I don't know that that's maximizing Jarrett either. And I think it's JB's responsibility as the coach to make sure that every individual player is maximized to a level that is also going to help this team thrive. Since Jared Allen has been this kind of involved, Ethan, on the offensive end, the Cavs have risen to a top five offense. He can be a weapon on the offensive end, and this stretch has shown it. And the Cavs have to stay committed 
to keeping him that involved on the offensive end. If they don't, they're doing themselves and J.A. a disservice. And I know we're kind of running on on this question, but I wanted to get back to the fact that we were not expecting the Cavs to be a top five offense. We knew this team to be a defensive first team. That's what we had been told. That's what we have seen. All of those things. And to know that they could be both. It's something that not only the Cavs players are hopeful for, but the Cavs upper management is like, oh, we could be this. And especially with Jarrett being one of the focal points on offense, he's basically running it. Like he has to touch the ball at least once on each possession. That's what it seemed like. And even if he's creating offense for himself or passing the ball on a handoff or just finding other people that are cutting down the lane, like it has been something that you don't see a big man averaging five, six assists over five games. I mean, unless he's Jokic or something so, like that. Like It's funny that you brought that up because in Toronto the other night following the game, I went up to Jarrett and I said, hey, man, like, who are you? Are you Frokic? Like, do you want me to start calling you Frokic? Because, like, I didn't think you had this passing in you. I didn't think you had these assists in you. He was like, hey, mini Jokic. He was joking with me, of course. We're not saying that Jared Allen is Jokic. But how they're using him is pretty similar to that. He's being used as an offensive hub. He's being used as an offensive fulcrum. And he talked about it all offseason, Ethan. He said, hey, I want to improve as a passer. I want to improve as a playmaker. I've worked all offseason to try and expand that area of my game. And now you're starting to see it. So let's call him Frokic moving forward. Frokic. I I like that. All right. That was all one question. We're going to move to the next one. And it kind of lumps in with the last one. How do the Cavs take the positive things they've learned without DG and Evan and keep doing them once they return, as opposed to just reverting back to the way things were before their injuries? And I think, like we have just talked about, even if Evan is the five, using him as an offensive hub, because we know Evan has passing ability, and we know he does have an offensive game, even though he doesn't have maybe an offensive move to go to, he can create for himself on the block, in the paint, around the basket. Let's say that. And DG also is one of the best pick and roll guards in the league. So being able to manipulate that game and continue to do that while using the shooters around them will allow them to continue to use what they've learned over this stretch. But what else do you think they can learn or continue to do, Chris? I just think it shows them, Ethan, that they can play multiple styles when they need to. And they don't have to be reliant on just one path to success offensively or just one path to success defensively. In saying all of that, like a lot of how a team functions at both ends of the floor is going to be tied to personnel. And the Cavs understand that playing Jarrett and Evan together takes away some of their offensive ceiling. It takes away some of their spacing. It takes away some of their shooting, but they still believe deep down that they gain enough on the defensive end to make that kind of sacrifice. Like they're not dummies. They understand all of these things. And the same thing when it comes to Darius Garland, when Darius is out there, they understand that he needs the ball in his hands. 
that he's going to occupy some of the possessions and it's going to take some touches away from Jared Allen. It's going to take some shot attempts away from Max Struess. It's going to take some minutes away from Karis LeVert and maybe even Craig Porter Jr., right? There's always a give and take with a team, but I think it's important for the Cavs to understand, like, even if they're not going to stylistically play the exact same way that they've been playing now, it's integrating the components that have worked during this stretch with the foundation of who they are. That's what it comes down to. And maybe there are going to be stretches throughout a course of a game moving forward that JB is going to be more comfortable playing a four-shooter lineup and splitting up Jarrett and Evan because he has seen that be successful, right? Maybe there are stretches throughout the course of this season where he's going to be more willing to go to Sam Merrill in certain spots, certain situations, because he has seen Sam step forward and be successful during this time. So it's kind of like shown JB and shown everybody else throughout the organization, hey, like there's a different way that we can be successful. And it doesn't have to be the same on a nightly basis. All right. Next question is about a guy we haven't talked about yet tonight. So since Darius Garland went out, Isaac Okoro's numbers have gone up across the board. Wouldn't this seem to indicate that Okoro's low-scoring numbers when the team is healthy are mostly due to the lack of opportunity? Well, the answer, the quick answer to that is yes, because all opportunities are lower when the star players are on the court and you're coming off the bench and having less minutes and the ball's not in your hand. The expectation for Isaac Okoro when the star players are there, is for him to be a 3 and D guy. I asked him this today, trying to confirm that that's what he is. Even though his offense has increased substantially over this last nine games, he understands that he is a 3 and D guy with a mentality of defense first. So that's his game. That's what he likes to do. That's what he enjoys doing. So it's not about him switching to be an offensive-minded player. It's what has been asked of him to get done, to help the team win. And there have been games that without Isaac Okoro's offense, the Cavs wouldn't have won. And without Isaac Okoro's defense, the Cavs wouldn't have won. So it's both sides of the book on that one. Yeah, I mean, Ethan, you hit on it right there. And I think you said it really, really well. This isn't golf, right? This isn't tennis. This is a team sport. And everybody within a team is going to have a specific role. And it's not everybody's role to go out there and score 25 a night. Like, that's Donovan Mitchell's role. That's Darius Garland's role. That's not Isaac Okoro's role. Not on this team. His role is to fill in the gaps. His role, at times, offensively, is to sit in the corners and wait for driving kicks. It's to cut off the ball. It's to get offensive rebounds. So not everybody is going to have the Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland role. Not everybody is going to be asked to carry that kind of burden on the offensive end, just like you're not going to ask everybody on defense to to play like Evan Mobley or play like Jared Allen. Some guys are going to be defense first. So many fans get caught up in these numbers and an increase in production when X happens and like why doesn't it happen when the team is at full strength? And it's, again, it goes back to the same idea. There are only so many shot attempts throughout the course of a game. There are so many touches throughout the course of the game. Not everybody on the roster can be a high-touch, high-volume type player. 
It's trying to fill in the gaps that are required for this team to be at its best. And it's part of the reason, Ethan, why Max Struess can be extremely effective and impactful for this team, despite the fact that he is shooting as bad as he ever shot in his entire career. Because he can do other things. Because he can spread the floor. Because he can create gravity. Like, sometimes a guy's role is that stuff that doesn't always show up in the box score. So when Darius Garland gets healthy and Evan Mobley gets healthy, Isaac Okoro's opportunities are going to be more limited, and he's not going to be scoring double digits. Last question from the subtexters, and I think it's a doozy. It's a big one that will kind of lead into what we're going to talk about after the break. But for now, let's get to this one. Assuming Cavs ownership will make certain to stay below the second apron when the new CBA salary cap rules kick in, what would the contract situation look like for the team with wanting to re-sign Donovan and Evan with those likely as max contracts plus Darius's max contract, and is that realistic under the new CBA? Ethan, it is realistic, and part of the reason why it's realistic is because the Cavs around the margins have found some playable and helpful pieces. Craig Porter Jr. being on two-way contract is a big benefit to this team that has a lot of high-priced salary guys. So the point is, like, if you're going to have a bunch of high-priced salary guys, you have to find some cheaper playable options. And having somebody like Craig Porter Jr. on a two-way contract, having Sam Merrill making very little money, but possibly cracking the rotation. Who knows what the future is going to be like for Amani Bates. Dean Wade is on a team-friendly contract. George Niang is getting paid less than the mid-level exception. Like That's where you really, really help yourself, is you find cheap help at the back end of your rotation that can be part of your rotation. And because the Cavs have some of those guys spread out throughout the course of the roster, I think it is doable. The other thing to look at is that Karis LeVert's contract is going to be up at the end of the 25 season. So that takes $16 million off the books. These are all kinds of things that I think the Cavs can work through and work around. It's going to be a pricey roster. There's no doubt about it. Darius Garland has a huge contract. Donovan Mitchell, if he stays has a huge contract, and Evan Mobley is going to get paid in a big, big way. But if you can find guys that can help you for cheap, that's going to allow you to have that kind of roster makeup. With that being said, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to discuss the impact that the Knicks and Raptors trade has on the Donovan Mitchell trade rumors. But before then, become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and I by subscribing to Subtext. Chris, can you give the fans some insight into what Subtext is? Yeah, I mean, Subtext is just a way to talk to us. It's essentially being able to communicate with either one of us via a phone. So you're able to talk to us like we're your buddies. You're able to send us text messages and then we send you text messages back And they go right to your phone while the game is going on, sometimes after shoot around, sometimes after practice. It's just a different way to communicate to us directly rather than X, which is formerly Twitter. Like 
on X, there's so many different followers that everybody has. And if you go through your mentions, you may not be able to constantly interact with somebody. Here at Subtext, you know that we're basically just a text message away. We're just a phone call away where you can have that kind of interaction you can have that kind of conversation with us on a daily basis. So become our buddies and sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word stop. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from myself and Chris. This isn't just our podcast. It's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. For those who aren't aware, the Knicks and Raptors finalized a trade during the holidays to send OG Ananobi and two other players to the Knicks for RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and a 2024 second round pick via Detroit. The Cavs got the first taste of the new Raptors lineup in a tight New Year's Day contest that saw the Cavs fall 124-121. First and foremost, Chris, what do you think of the new and some would say improved Raptors lineup? I mean, it's different, right? I mean, I think offensively, there's probably a little bit more firepower. I've never been a huge R.J. Barrett guy in terms of the style of player he is, the lack of efficiency that he brings to the offense. But I think Emmanuel quickly gives them an up-and-coming option to play point guard and kind of just run that offense in a different kind of way. So I think because of that, there can be a domino effect that can raise their offensive ceiling a little bit. But I think the Knicks won that trade. They got the best player in that deal, OG Ananobi. He's a guy that a number of teams around the NBA, Ethan, have coveted for quite some time. Stylistically, he's the kind of player that usually doesn't get traded. Or if he does get traded, it takes a haul. Or it takes you having to like overpay just to get that type of guy. And I think he's going to be a huge weapon for the Knicks, especially in seven-game playoff series where he's going to guard Jason Tatum. He's going to guard Donovan Mitchell. He's going to guard Tyler Hero. He's going to guard Tyrese Maxey. I think it changes the outlook more for the New York Knicks than it does for the Toronto Raptors. And speaking of the Knicks, how do you expect this to impact the trade rumors surrounding Donovan Mitchell, especially with countless people saying he wanted to return to New York? To me, the trade at least silences the rumors of him going to the Knicks, but he could still possibly go to Brooklyn if the Nets were willing to give up pieces like Cam Thomas. And they even said that they're not going to give up Mikael Bridges because they want to build around him. But I think he would be also a trade piece that would be enticing for the Cavs to have Donovan play alongside Ben Simmons if he can realistically return to a basketball court for a full season at this point. So what do you think about how the trade between the Knicks and the Raptors impacts the Donovan Mitchell rumors? I think there are a couple of things. Number one, Ethan, we have to say this. 
my sources tell me that the Cavs have zero interest in trading Donovan Mitchell. They haven't even thought about that. In fact, my sources tell me that there are members of this front office that are sitting here today wondering why the hell people are even talking about the possibility of the Cavs trading Donovan Mitchell. They're 19 and 15. They're like a game back of the four seed in the Eastern Conference. And coming into this year, we talked about it, Ethan. It's Boston, it's Milwaukee, it's Philadelphia. Those teams are on a different tier. But that next tier of teams in the Eastern Conference, Miami, Orlando now, Indiana now, New York, the Cavs are still in that same cluster. They're right there behind Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia, exactly where a lot of people expected them to be coming into this year. And on top of that, Darius Garland and Evan Mobley aren't out for the remainder of the season. They're going to be back for this team. And there's going to be enough time for them when they do come back to ramp themselves up and make a second half of the season playoff push and see if they can get out of the first round of the playoffs, see how far they can advance into the playoffs. So it's like the Cavs are sitting here saying, why would we trade Donovan Mitchell? It's not like we're the Toronto Raptors that are 14 and 20 and losing to the Detroit Pistons, right? It's not like we're the Chicago Bulls that are 15 and 21 and we're not a good team and we have absolutely no future and we need to blow it up because our roster doesn't work. The Cavs just aren't in a situation where they're even interested in listening to what teams are going to offer them for Donovan Mitchell. They're not even considering that at the moment. Beyond that, and I've talked to Donovan about this multiple times, he is happy right now where he is at. He is happy being a Cleveland Cavalier. He believes in this team. He believes in this roster. He helped recruit George Niang and Max Struess because he knew after going through that playoff series against the Knicks that the Cavs, if they were going to take the next step as an organization, needed to improve their shooting and their floor spacing. And he's looking at it saying, when Darius Garland and Evan Mobley come back, let's see how far we can take this team. The Brooklyn thing is hilarious to me, by the way. Like, that's the second team in New York. Like, that's not the Knicks. That's not Madison Square Garden. That's not the team that Donovan thought he was going to. That is a second-rate team in New York. And they stink. They're 15 and 20. (laughs) They're 2-8 and eight in their last 10. They've lost five in a row. What is the benefit of Donovan Mitchell going to the Brooklyn Nets? Is that a better situation than Cleveland? No. Nope. It's not a better situation than Cleveland, especially given what they would have to give up in order to get Donovan. So, like, I don't think Donovan is sitting here today saying, oh, please trade me to Brooklyn. Like, no, not at all. Like, if he's going to go somewhere, if he's going to want out of Cleveland and either asked to be traded, give an inclination to the organization that he's not going to sign an extension or just leave in free agency, he's going to be looking for a place that gives him a better chance to win and get past the second round, something he's never done in his career, than the Cavs. And that's not the freaking Brooklyn Nets, okay? (laughs) Like, yeah, maybe it's the Knicks. Maybe it's the Miami Heat. But the Brooklyn thing is just absolutely hilarious to me. Yeah, it doesn't make sense at all. I literally had to put that together just because I've seen multiple fans be like, well, he wants to go back to New York and Brooklyn's in New York. But no, like 
you going back to a suffering Ben Simmons and probably are going to have to get rid of Cam Thomas and Mikael Bridges to get Donovan, and they don't even want to get rid of Mikael. Yay, let me go to Brooklyn and play with Spencer Dinwiddie. Like, come on. He's playing with Darius Garland right now. He's got Evan Mobley. He's got Jared Allen. This is a better situation than the Brooklyn Nets. We were talking about chemistry. Like, we've seen Donovan Mitchell, while out with an illness, still travel to Dallas to be with the team, to take warm-ups, to get acclimated, to be around the guys after the holidays, and then douse Jarris Allen and Karis LeVert after a 20-point comeback victory over Luka Doncic. Like, that is the epitome of wanting to be in a place, wanting to show that you are there for your people, and then not only showing that you're there, but showing up and showing out. And you did that while not even playing the game. It is a testament to not only the person that Donovan Mitchell is, but how much that he cares about this team. If you say keep saying that, that he wants to get traded or that the team wants to trade him, it doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't add up. The math isn't mathing. Whatever vernacular you want me to use, I can say it in five different languages. It does not make sense. And the next thing is is fascinating to me, Ethan, because number one, they had a chance at Donovan last September, and they chose not to go, quote unquote, all in. They just traded for OG and Anobi. They're going to give OG a big contract. So they're going to have high-priced Julius Randle, high-priced Jalen Brunson, and OG Ananobi, high-priced OG Ananobi, that's going to be like their trio of guys. Um, obviously, Julius could potentially get moved at some point in time. But like, that was them saying, like, we need another big trade to add to this roster. And they went out and they got OG. And the question becomes, like, okay, what's left over for them to potentially trade for somebody like Donovan Mitchell if they gave up RJ Barrett, if they gave up Emmanuel quickly? Like, two of their more intriguing young pieces. Because when you're talking about this kind of deal, especially for the Cavs, like, the Cavs aren't going to sit here and say, well, if we trade Donovan Mitchell, we're going into full-on rebuild mode. We're going into tank mode. We just want a whole bunch of draft picks. Like, yeah, draft picks are assets, and the Cavs could take those on and try and flip those for other players, but the Cavs are still going to see themselves as a competitive team, potentially, in the Eastern Conference, and they're going to want pieces that help them. They're going to want some combination of young players on probably team-friendly contracts or something close to that, help now pieces and maybe some draft capital. But at this point, what the Knicks have to offer, the best pieces that they have to offer, are draft picks. So it would make more sense to me, anyway, for the Knicks to look for like a disgruntled star that's in a situation where that team is ready to go into tank mode, and they'll take a whole bunch of those draft picks that the Knicks have. Um, I don't know... Who fits that criteria? Maybe it's like LaMelo Ball in the future. Like that type of player. I don't know who else fits that type of mold. But that to me, based on what they have left to offer in that kind of trade, that to me would make more sense as a direction for the Knicks. The other thing is like Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson, like are they convinced that that would work? 
do they think that that would be a cohesive combination? I don't know. I honestly, like, you look at Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, and then you look at Jalen Brunson and Donovan Mitchell. Like, it's fairly similar. They're both ball dominant. So, like, what do the Knicks have left over to potentially package together? Because, like, I don't think it would be smart of the Cavs to do that. I think top to bottom of this roster, they're better than the Knicks right now, especially with Mitchell Robinson injured. I mean, again, it's hard to say that the Cavs are better than the Knicks when they played in a playoff series and just got manhandled. Yes, fair enough. But I'm saying they went and got the pieces that they feel like they felt like they needed to reprimand what they were missing. And obviously they didn't have the playoff experience that they now have. Jared Allen is now coming into his own. Evan Mobley will be back and healthier and stronger and all of those things. And you have a bench unit that went, I mean, obviously it was against the Wizards, but they were on the floor only as a bench against some of the starters for the Wizards. And it was the same. Like, it it wasn't like there was a difference between the bench and the starting unit as of right now, because you see how much depth this roster has. You see that they come together and learn what each other likes, learn what they can do best together. Their shooting numbers their inside game, all of those things. Like, we've mentioned it on multiple occasions. We didn't expect Tristan Thompson to be as impactful on the court as he has been. He's been one of the focal points of that bench unit, and he hasn't done much on the offensive end. It's just what he's been able to bring on the rebounding end, being able to kick out his passing ability. I don't know what's been going on with the bigs as of late, but it feels like they're all trying to show off that they can be passers too. They said, hey, our starting point guard's out. Y'all sure we don't need a seven-footer at the guard spot? Joking, joking. But yeah, it's been crazy to see and exciting to think about how much this roster has grown. I think I have to stand on that. I don't think the Knicks are better top to bottom than the Cavs are, especially as of right now. I'll disagree on that one. (laughs) But the point is, like, there's math involved with any trade, too, Ethan. And the fact that the Knicks used R.J. Barrett, which was like the $26 million contract that matches, better matches, some of these star players that they could go out and hunt. Now it's like, how are they going to get to the $35 million number of Donovan Mitchell? that's going to be enticing enough for the Cavs. Like if we're just getting nerdy about it, what are they going to give Josh Hart and Dante DiVincenzo? Like they're still 5 million short in the money. They're going to give Evan Fournier, whatever he has left. And maybe the Cavs just swallow a contract. No, like that's not very appealing from the Cavs perspective. So like, that's why to me, the minute that the Knicks went out and traded for OG, like their chances of getting Donovan in a a team-for-team trade diminished greatly. I think the desire for somebody like Donovan Mitchell diminished greatly, number one. And number two, like I think the resources that they would need in order to get him from the Cavs, I think that diminished greatly. You never say never in the NBA. You can pull in a third team. You can pull in a fourth team. But the Knicks used some pretty important pieces that would have facilitated a potential trade if we're going pie-in-the-sky hypotheticals. And I think their chances of getting Donovan Mitchell decreased the minute that they landed OG and Anobi. In a trade. In a trade now. 
Like if Donovan just wants to go to New York as a free agent eventually in his career, then he can do that. But that would make a very, very pricey roster, by the way. 100%. With all that being said, that'll wrap up today's episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. But remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and I by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy. We can tell you that the people who signed up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from myself and Chris. This isn't just our podcast. It's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. Y'all be safe. We out.